Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer turned psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Uh, today we've got a longtime colleague and um, somebody I know uh, better and better each day because <laughs> we tend to have some great coffees and, and some face-to-face -face meetings more than the virtual since he's right here in San Diego. Uh, our guest today is Mike Noland and I just think he's special because he doesn't just have a job, he has a purpose. Right. Mike's purpose in life is to help managers be better, do better, and live better. And his passion is working with senior leaders and managers to improve their effectiveness personally, professionally, and within their teams. So let's all welcome Mike. Hi, Mike. Good day. Thank you very much, Joni. I appreciate that introduction. Oh, good. Yeah, I think that you have a lot to say to our nerd friends here. Uh, about what this means just going on beyond just the people uh, just you know strategies at work but making it your purpose so yeah. we'll get to that but I wanted to start out because I, I love our history I, we started uh, we got to know each other when we first met when you were working in learning and development at ResMed right and for our listeners who may not be familiar with ResMed uh, they make medical devices and software to help manage sleep apnea, CPOD, and other respiratory diseases. If I got all that right, correct. Michael, correct that's me. Correct. No, that's it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, not only was that sort of a nerd-rich environment, because you've got mm -hmm. a bunch of scientists and engineers, but we were also kind of working on a pretty nerdy project. I mean, we were yeah. developing an assessment uh, to find out what kind of leadership needs uh, development needs, I suppose, uh, training needs that the folks at ResMed had. So it was survey development, we're dealing with item construction and data, <laughs> looking through the results. And so my favorite statistical analysis. Yes. Yes. So we had a lot going on. So, you know, I'm just really curious with Mike, you know, um, it's kind of a roundabout way of asking this, but kind of like what, what kind of nerd are you? Yeah. Um, you know, what is your favorite? You like working with all the scientists or you like the, the statistics or well, yeah. Well, how do you describe yourself? Yeah, I was teasing statistical analysis <laughs> and I are, uh, our rivals. <laughs> no, I, I'm probably the least technically proficient person that you're going to meet. Certainly that you will have on this podcast. I can guarantee you. <laughs> We'll see about I, <laughs> um, Numbers and I have, have been enemies since uh, way back in the middle school days. But um, yeah, I was at ResMed. It was a fascinating, wonderful experience. Um, my title there was called Corporate Training Manager of the, for the Americas. And so being a medical device company, ResMed, <clears throat> excuse me, had sort of two tracks of development. One is the commercial side of the medical devices. How do the medical devices work? How do you use them? 
what are the algorithm algorithms that measure you know how many times a person's sleep is interrupted in an hour etc and then you've got the corporate side which is classic leadership development and that's where i was they were smart enough to keep me away from the medical devices mm -hmm. and let me focus on the leadership aspects of learning and development and that's what i did while i was at resmed and it was a wonderful wonderful experience resmed's a great company you know, you, although I don't work there anymore, I'm still proud to say I did. And one of the things that, um, you know, we typically talk about, what's your elevator pitch or what is your, what is your welcome opening comments? And at ResMed, it's, we help improve the lives of millions of patients around the world through better sleep. Mm -hmm. So sure, you could talk about, well, yes, it's a, you know, continuous positive airway pressure device and yada yada go into all the technical. No, we improve the health of people through better sleep because there's a ton of comorbidities that come with sleep apnea. So that, well, there that was you my... go. There's a purpose yes. beyond the, the nerd speak. Yes. yes and absolutely. Uh, whether it is, you know, the tech that gets you going and wakes you up in the morning, but having that purpose of helping people, uh, helping patients breathe and sleep. Yep. I mean, that's, that's simple and also just really important. It's critical. Yes, it really is. Okay. So you've had a varied background though. You actually, st I mean, a lot of your background before ResMed was hospitality. Correct. Uh, so how did you go from one to the next? So I think, you know, in my current business, um, I own a leadership management development company and people <laughs> ask me all the time, well, what niche do you serve? What business is your bailiwick? What, you know, who is your target audience? And I say, you know, honestly, there really isn't one. And, and I'm not being evasive. The reason for that is that where I find my passion is around helping managers be more effective in the day in and day out aspects of what it means to manage the performance of others. So human performance. And if you think about any business, and I don't care if you're a heart surgeon or if you're developing algorithms for a CPAP device or if you are in the military, you're dealing with human beings. You're dealing with human nature. You're dealing with the foibles of people who are different, who have different ways of thinking, different ways of seeing, different ways of reacting, different ways of choosing. And all of those things add to the complexity of what it means to be a manager when you're trying to execute against the goals and expectations of whatever it is, the, the individual, the team, the uh, larger organization or the corporation. So it's a human being business. And so for me to say, yeah, I was in ResMed, it's an outstanding medical device company that's an industry leader in their field, because I wasn't on the mechanical operation of the business side, I was on the human side, it was a wonderful fit. It was a great fit. And so that's how one like me can go from hospitality into medical devices or into consulting with any business mm -hmm. that has people. 
That's what right? it comes down to. Common it's denominator. <laughs> if you've got people, we can work together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hopefully we'll still uh, continue to have people, not just all AI in the future. Yep. But maybe you can work with AI. Too. Somebody has to create the artificial intelligence yeah. devices that are the robots <laughs> that are, you know, making the equipment that we're using nowadays. Right. Well, okay, so you kind of answered my, my question about what you're doing now. I mean, maybe you could tell us a little bit more. Uh, you run a company, you are the president of Enriched Learning and Development. Correct. And uh, you help train managers, but perhaps you can go into a little bit as you talk about this. What is the difference between managing and leading? Right. And how do you right. deal with that? So the difference between managing and leading is that we have to do both. Okay. And the normal execution of our duties throughout the day as managers. We, I like uh, Stephen Covey says that we manage things, but we lead people. So in the daily execution of our duties, there are things that we manage. There are people that we manage. We manage people's performance. We manage their arrival times and departure times, if you still have that structure in your organization. Mm -hmm. We manage, um, if you're dealing with hourly associates, they have to go on breaks, they have to return from breaks, they have to accurately keep track of their time, they have to turn in the um, things that they're responsible for on a timely basis. We have to give them performance reviews. We have to uh, hold them accountable for their vacation time. And, uh, you know, all these things that we do that we manage processes that execute the performance of the duties that are required. But at the same time, we're leading people. We're leading people with being crystal clear on what the expectations of stellar performance looks like in this organization. We're leading them to understand what are the larger goals of the organization. We're leading them to understand how they contribute to the outcomes that this organization is responsible for. And we're leading them in a way that they can feel like they're collaborating with their team members in the execution of the duties. And while my duties may be different than your duties, we both understand how they fit together and contribute to the goals and aspirations and executables of the organization. So we manage things, we lead people, we have to do both. They're two separate skills that inter, um, inter we were in, are interwined, intertwined, frequently throughout the course of a day. But um, both are important and both can be taught, which is what the wonderful thing is. We don't understand these skills intuitively, generally. And um, we find that people get into management roles unprepared to be managers and particularly unprepared to be leaders. And so that's what we try to help. I like to say that, um, and my organization says, that um, most managers are managers today because they were strong individual contributors. Right. And this is particularly true, perhaps, um, for people who are technically skilled and leadership challenged. So typically, 
in a small to mid-sized organization, maybe even in large organizations, somebody's very good at a particular role in the organization. This mm -hmm. might happen to an IT guy. It certainly happens to engineers. It certainly happens to people who are tasked with being innovative um, creators. And you're really good at your particular individual role. You're really good with technology and software. Or you're really good with um, systems design and implementation. And all of a sudden, somebody leaves and the CEO walks in and they go, oh, Joni, you know, you're so good with IT. You're so good on this software development. I'm going to put you in charge of the IT team. Mm -hmm. And so... You're all excited. You think that's a wonderful opportunity. Now you've got a salary instead of an hourly rate and your, maybe your benefits are better. And, you know, you go home all excited and you tell your loved ones, hey, I'm a manager now. And then two months later, you wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat because you have no idea what you're doing, right? right? The people that you used to work with, now you're managing their performance and they're mad at you. The people that you report to have an expectation of a skill set that they never trained you in. And the people that you work for, um, you're learning by the mistakes you're making on them, the people that report to you, right? So it, it can be a really frustrating experience for someone who's promoted into a management and leadership role who has not been given any development in the skills and attributes and practices of an effective leader. That's what we teach. Right. So what, what are the common mistakes that you see being made or challenges that, especially these technical, uh, you know, the, the people who are technically skilled and leadership challenged, what kind of problems do they run into um, typically? Right. So very frequently what will happen is someone who's very technically savvy or skilled becomes a manager, and so now they're responsible for the production of the team right mm -hmm. so they because they don't know really effectively how to communicate expectations or to train others in the skills that got them promoted they almost double down on their workload so they'll say well I'm not comfortable teaching. I'm not comfortable training someone else how to do what I did. I'm just going to do it twice as fast or twice as much. I'm going to do, I'm going to do my job plus theirs because then I can lead by example. Well, leading by example has its qualities and characteristics that are, that are good, but frequently it's not developmental for someone else on the team. So a leader might double down on their own skills task themselves with doing even more than they did before just to keep the production up. And all of a sudden in three months, six months, they're really burned out, right? Mm -hmm. They're just exhausted. The other thing that they might do is they might go, well, you know what? I'm expected to be the boss. I'm expected to be in charge. So that means I have to have all the answers. Yeah. So I'm going to be the world's best problem solver. And don't worry, folks. Just bring me your problems. If you have a challenge, bring it to me. I'll solve it, and we'll just keep pressing on. Well, all that does, unfortunately, is teach the team that right. Mike doesn't want 
input on the problems that we have. Mike wants to be the problem solver. Great for me. It's easier for me as the employee to just let Mike solve it. So I'm going to give all of my problems to Mike, right. and Mike's going to solve them all. And again, what's the challenge? Now Mike's overwhelmed, Mike's burned out, Mike's exhausted. A third problem is we may feel like, okay, I'm the boss now, so I can't be anybody's friend. Now, you know, there's a difference between being friendly and being your best friend. I don't need to be your best friend at work, but I should be friendly with you. I should know something about you. I should have a relationship with you that is um, characteristic of what a typical friend would know. What are your likes? What are your interests? What are your hobbies? What do you do on the weekends? How many kids do you have? Do you have kids? Do you want to have kids? You don't want to have kids. That's fine. It, whatever it is, but I need to know you as a human being, and I can't remove myself from you artificially just because now I'm your boss. Mm -hmm. So those three things, I think, are, are the first three that likely occur in, the, in most often um, for a person who's promoted from within into a management role. So what kind of solutions do you offer? Yes, what we do offer <laughs> solutions in, in um, that situation is <clears throat> the first thing that um, to address the first issue is you don't have to double down on your amount of work. Mm -hmm. um, and this is especially true when you stay um, within your own department. Because if you stay within your own department and you get promoted from within, other people were performing pretty well probably when you got promoted, mm -hmm. right? That doesn't mean now that you have to be able to do their jobs for them. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't do their jobs for them. But what you should know is you should know what it is that they're doing, how they do it, how well they do it, where can they improve upon it, and um, if they're doing well, essentially, leave them alone. If they need assistance, you find out about it through that relationship building that I spoke about a minute ago. You sit down with them and you say, hey, Joni, you know what? You know I got promoted. Um, I don't understand completely what you do. So help me see the bigger picture. What is your role and how does it fit in relation to what I used to do? And let's have a conversation about how these two mesh together so that I can better lead you in the future if you have any challenges. And so um, I get an understanding of the boss, even though I kind of have an overview of the whole team and I think I know what everybody's doing. I want to understand it from your perspective. I want to know how you feel to best execute the responsibilities that you have. And, you know, you get a grace period when you're a new boss, you get a grace period of I don't know what it is, depends on the organization. Um, but certainly a few weeks, if not a, a, a couple of months perhaps, where you have that ease in phase, where you get to have those conversations, you get to have those one-on-one -on -one meetings, you get to take somebody to lunch, you get to know them um, right. both as a contributor to the team and as a human being so that you can be a more effective leader. And then after that grace period wears off, then we start um, getting back to that managing things and leading people thing. The other thing is um, don't stop asking people for input. Just because you're the boss, the, 
big problem, as I said earlier, is that managers assume, okay, now I'm in charge. I have to have all the answers. And that's just physically not possible, typically. Right. It's generally the case where other people see things differently than you, and oh, by the way, that's a good thing, right? I once had a boss who told me, you know, if, we're, if we've got five team members and two of us are thinking exactly the same way, one of us is redundant. We don't need five people who all think exactly the same way mm -hmm. because we're going to miss critically important information. I want on a team of, if there are five of us all together, I want me and four other people who think differently than I do, who all have different skill sets, who all have different um, orientations to problem solving so that we collaboratively come up with the best solutions as a group, okay? None of us is good as all of us, right? One of us is going to be good at communication skills, perhaps, and somebody else is going to be good at project management, and somebody else is going to be good on the technical aspects, and somebody else is going to be able to, to um, sell it to the CEO, but all of us have different skills, and let's keep those diverse skills front and center as we're leading a team. And then the last example was to... <clears throat> not be aloof as a leader. Stay connected, stay um, approachable. Um, you know, the old proverbial open door policy uh, gets abused a little bit. Um, yes, you should have times during the day when you're available to everybody and you have other times where it's understood, this is my time, I need to close the door and put my head down and be uninterrupted so that I can get my work done. And what is that balance for you and your team? Well, how do you find that out? You talk with them. How much do you need me to be available? Can I be available one hour a day, two hours, five? What is it? You let me know. Right. No, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and it, it also just, I mean, I've heard this from other people who've even been on this show about some of the challenges they've been through in terms of being the leader, thinking there's, they're supposed to know all the answers and then realizing that it's actually better when they get input from the team because they come up with better solutions as well as buy-in and <laughs> all sorts of reasons and not having a little rebellion against them if they're just this dictator, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I'm curious though. So you've worked with a lot of different people and your current role doing external work. You work for people from all different kinds of companies. Correct. So do you see particular uh, trends that come up with real technical people that might be different from non-technical people or how they approach this? Yes, yeah, absolutely. What, what do you see and, you know, um, what resonates with them when you talk to them? Yes. So as a non-technical person myself, um, I do recognize when someone is very technically oriented and they have a difficult time communicating effectively with the other people in the organization or in their team. Um, and frequently that's simply just the way someone's orientation to life is generally. Um, you know, one of the tools that we can use in helping build interdependent work teams is DISC. We've all heard of DISC probably. Right. And um, the DISC 
tool helps us identify where someone is maybe dominant, they're an influencer, they're steady, or they like uh, conscientiousness or compliance. And I find a lot of technical people, and this isn't just me, a lot of technical people are very high C's, we would say, in DISC. So they're very interested in data. They're very interested in process. They're very interested in tried and true technologies. They're very interested in if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of stuff, right? This mm -hmm. is the process. This is the system. This is the data that supports it. This is the, the uh, fact that we arrive at based on the data that we've analyzed, mm -hmm. and boom, this is what you need to do. Well, if a high C walks into a room with a bunch of other Ds and Is and just goes, this is the fact, here's the data that supports it, we don't need this meeting, they've just alienated a whole group of people, right? right. So um, the ability to moderate that dependence on data and analysis, it's critical. We absolutely need to have it, but how we communicate that in a group of diverse people is important to understand. And that's where we can really help um, technically proficient, highly analytical people moderate that um, orientation to, I don't need to make small talk, I don't need to know the, mm -hmm. the background story, just tell me what the solution you need is and I'll support it with facts. Right. Let's move on, you know. Um, we're not all like that. <laughs> and some mm -hmm. of us find that off-putting when somebody hits us over the head with it. Yeah, oh, no, that's interesting too, just to get that feedback that like, you think you've sold them on, you know, the best possible answer because you have the data to support it. But yep. really, what you've done is alienated everyone. <laughs> it's like whammo. Whoops! I had yep. no idea how that wouldn't be, you know, the clincher, you know, with yep. right there with the data to support it, and yep. um, how to approach people differently um, can be eye-opening. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just combobulating too. Like, well, then what? What do I do now? Yeah. Well, so that's the beauty of DISC, and what DISC teaches us more than DIS and C is to recognize that there are, those are all behavioral cues that mm -hmm. I can pick up on. So if I'm a high C and I'm interacting with somebody who's a high influencer or high I, and I know this because I watch their behavior and I see that they're outgoing, they're bubbly, they're probably pretty enthusiastic about life generally, they're not really focused in the initial part of the meeting on the task at hand they want to be you know they want to get to know you and they want to we hit those people over the head right off the bat with facts they're they're as i said they're put off so as a high c i need to sit down with that person i need to be able to be comfortable at least enough to be able to recognize that you know, I'm not going to launch right into the data analysis. I'm going to say, how was your weekend? You know, how about this? Um, boy, that, uh, those fires in Northern California, they're just so awful. I feel so bad for those folks. Yeah, yeah, it's really sad. And, you know, have a conversation of humanly first and then go, oh, by the way, you know, what we're here for is we've got to analyze this XYZ issue because uh, the boss wants the uh, numbers by 10 o'clock and, oh, by the way, it's 9.15. Let's, <laughs> let's, um, let's talk about the data and then you're in your 
right. you know, you're in heaven now, yeah. right? And you've made the eye comfortable and you've done the rapport building and the relationship building and you're still getting to the solution that you, you've already come into this meeting knowing that you're going to argue for. Yeah. Well, I'm going to flip this around for a second, Mike, because uh, the one thing that you started saying uh, at the beginning, I think could be very appealing to very technical analytical people, which is collect the data on the people that you're interacting with, right? right. By those behavioral observations, right? Yeah. So maybe part of that is, you know, I'm hearing a lot of when you're saying this is like emotional intelligence cues, you know, like yeah. what is this person? It may not be emotional intelligence, but some, it might be something else too. So what are the cues and how do you uh, find them? You know, and one of the things that you were saying was sort of looking with your eyes, you know, or yep, with observing. your ears, you know, what, what's the content of what they're saying? Are they outgoing? How can you tell? You yep. know, what are those kind of cues? And so there's this a bit of data gathering at first to then choose your algorithm on <laughs> how to interact with yep. Yep. <laughs> Right? I'm turning into a little bit of a nerd speak here. But no, seriously, I mean, um, I hadn't really phrased it like that before. But in he when you're speaking, I'm going, wow, that's... That's kind of what we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. um, it, but yet the algorithm is often to, you know, do this sort of people-oriented human conversation that people like that may not be just the data-driven, you right. know, exchanging bits of data. Right. Uh, so um, that could be appealing. And, and maybe you could talk to us. I know you do a lot of work on emotional intelligence. Right. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners and our viewers a little bit about what that means so that if they want to be doing that data collection, uh, mm -hmm. what, what they would be even thinking of in emotional intelligence? Sure. So <clears throat> Daniel Goleman and, and, and many others have done great work around emotional intelligence. So people say sometimes EQ or EI. So if you think about EQ versus IQ, so IQ is your emotional quotient. We all understand that's a measure of our intelligence, right? And we were measured as kids probably. I know I was back in the early elementary school days. And um, so everybody um, understands your emotional quotient or how intelligent you are. And that pretty much is fixed by a, you know, late uh, nine, 10, 11 years old years. Um, but your emotional quotient or your EQ or your emotional intelligence is not fixed. It is based on four principles of, mm -hmm. of emotional intelligence. The first one is self-awareness. So how self-aware am I? In other words, how aware am I about the things that I say, the things that I do, the way that I behave around others, and those three things, the things I say, the things I do, the way I behave, the impact that that has on the people in my circle, right? The people that I interact with on a regular basis. If I'm self-aware, and I'm, in other words, cognizant of the impact my words my actions my behaviors have on the people that i interact with well then i can self-manage i so that's principle number two self-awareness number one self-management mm -hmm. number two i can moderate my behavior to best align with you so if i know that you're outgoing and bubbly 
I need to be a little bit more outgoing and bubbly when I'm dealing with you. Versus, I know if you're a high data-driven analytical person, I don't need to do that. I can walk in your office, sit down, here's the numbers, let's talk about it, boom, it's efficient. So I can self-manage. Then, if I'm self-aware and I can self-manage, then I can be aware of relationships. What are the relationships that I have with other people? So I have relationship awareness. I have relationship awareness. I'm doing those things that enhance and improve the quality of our relationship, both at home and at work. And this is equally important in your personal life too, of course. And then finally, it's relationship management. The fourth component is relationship management. What do I do that in enables all of us to get along more effectively. And as a leader, this is particularly important because a leader should not and would not, if they're socially, I mean, if they're self-aware, treat everybody exactly alike because we're all different. So I'm going to give to each what each needs, not treat everybody as exactly the same. So that's what emotional intelligence is all about. So you're absolutely right. Going back to your picking up cues and, and disc and um, emotional intelligence can go hand in hand. So I would offer that any leader who feels that um, they're perhaps not um, intuitively aware of the different skill sets and working styles and personal characteristics that their team members have that, you know, certainly I could, but there's many people out there that can do a DISC workshop for you, or you can attend an emotional intelligence um, seminar um, or we can come in and do a version of it for you. We do it, we do it in um, the larger organization that I am a partner in. It's called Crestcom International. We have an emotional intelligence uh, module in our program. And um, it um, enhances your ability to do that data gathering and that analysis and that self-awareness combined with the data that you observe or you hear or you um, learn from interaction that makes you a better leader. Excellent. Well, you know, on that note, I want to ask if people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Sure. So my email is, and we'll put this in the the podcast uh, notes, right? Right. I would think. Yeah. So it's Mike.Noland and that's spelled N-O-W-L-A-N-D. Looks like Nowland, but it's pronounced Noland. At Crestcom, C-R-E-S-T-C-O-M.com. And, uh, or you can certainly always call my cell phone and we'll put that in the speaker notes as well. Do you want Mm -hmm. me to list, uh, say it out loud? I can do that. No, we'll put it on the show notes. Okay. Say it, say it, say it. Six one nine seven eight zero one two six zero. And it's always on. I'm available to take your call whenever you need a question answered. That's excellent. Well, I think we've covered a lot today. I mean, Mike, this time has gone fast. We <laughs> pack a lot in a little bit of time. So, you know, just hearing a little bit about especially when we move up from an individual contributor to a manager and leader and how we differentiate between the two and and manage and lead people. And then 
what are some of those cues that we can look for and uh, listen to uh, to treat people in a way that works for them to right. help uh, lead people differently. So I really appreciate you uh, sharing this with our listeners because I think a lot of what you said has resonated well I've, from other folks I've talked to from um, on the show as well as people I just interact with in general in this space. So I think some of these are really specific towards technical people. So thanks, Mike, for being a guest on Reinventing Nerds. Oh, it was my pleasure, Jody. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I sincerely appreciate it. Yeah, well, and thanks to the listeners and our viewers. And uh, subscribe, rate, and review. That's our motto here at Reinventing Nerds. So uh, you can find us all at ReinventingNerds.com. Spread right. the word, nerds. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit ReinventingNerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.